stoked that 2010 is like gone and like on the way out. Yeah, can I hear you guys? 2010, tough year. Well, um, super excited that 2010 is, is coming to an end, frankly. But uh, really excited about next year. And Steph is going to share a little bit of uh, her heart from what happened this past year. And um, we just want to take a little look back on where God has taken us. And so um, can we give Steph a hand? She puts so much effort. All of our team does. But she, she puts a good effort here. Take it Sweet. Well, um, coming into tonight, uh, I just had this huge sense of celebration for everything that God has done this year. And um, I know that some of you have only come to Epic Life since maybe the school year started, but some of you have been here since we were identic, and so you've kind of been here since the beginning. And um, I came in uh, about like eight months before we started Epic Life, and it was identic, and it's like night and day difference between what it is now and what it is then, and so, or what it is now than what it was then. Um, but anyways, I just have this huge sense of celebration for everything that God has done in us because I just feel like my walk with Christ has deepened so much and just my hunger for him and, um, as I've watched other people in Epic Life, like, you guys have gone deeper and, and just searched for God more than I've seen you guys do, like, in the time that I've been here. And so as we close the year and look forward to next year, I just want to take some time to remember, like, everything that God did. Um, so just if you guys think back, um, back in January, we started off this year with, a, like, an awesome service. And we did an all-worship night, and the theme was Ezekiel 47, where it talks about the river of life. And we talked that night about how um, in that scripture, there's the ankle-deep water, and um, the, the man leads, the, the angel leads the man along this river, and he shows him where at the beginning there's ankle-deep water, and then he moves him forward to a point where now it's knee-deep, and then to a point to where it's waist-deep, and then to a point where it's so deep that you can't cross it. And we talked about how that river of life it, it heals everything that it touches, and it brings life to, to every place that it goes. And um, we just talked about how we're, we don't want to be in ankle-deep water anymore. And something that I read back in my journal was um, a prayer that we as a team had really focused on that week, and it was um, just that we couldn't stand being in ankle-deep water any longer, that we had to go deeper, and we were just really crying out for that, and it's so cool, because later on in the year, when we did, like, our acoustic night, and we had the open mic that you could pray, there's so many people that came to that place in their life, where they're like, I cannot be where I'm at any longer, I cannot move forward, God, unless you change something in my life, and so it's just so cool to see, like, the seeds that were planted at the beginning of the year just come through and, and see fruit of that towards the end. So then, um, so that was in January. In February, um, I don't know if any of you remember, but the band played How He Loves Us for like 20 minutes one night. Like we sang it in worship, and then afterwards we just kept playing it over and over and over, and God was pouring out so much revelation of who He is and how much love He has for us. 
And then in March, we went uh, to El Salvador, and uh, El Salvador was preceded by um, just a time of corporate fasting and prayer. There was a whole group of us that were fasting uh, once a week and really praying for Epic Life, not even just for El Salvador, but we went to El Salvador, and kind of the theme there was that God would take us to the next level, and... um, It was just really cool when we came back from El Salvador. I don't know. How many of you guys were here when we told El Salvador testimonies? So kind of like maybe almost half of you. It was really cool because we told these testimonies of all God had done. And um, our group in general, like, we're not usually bold enough to, like, raise your hand and ask for prayer or anything like that. And that night we asked if you want prayer for anything, raise your hand, and like 80% of the room lifted their hands, and we went around and prayed for everybody, and it was this amazing time, and I think that that like really took our group to the next level, because since then, we've seen so many people like step out and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to like take that extra step and just go for it. Uh, So then we had in June the worship night with The Rock, and if you guys were here for that, it was... um, a really awesome night of freedom, and people were dancing all across the front here, and it was really fun. Um, and uh, then in July, we had Regenerate. Who is it, Regenerate? That was our first, like, major Epic Life event, and we had, like, 350 people from all over Sacramento come to a worship concert, and that was awesome because we, it was the first time that we as Epic Life have really sought city unity, and so to be at that event, if you're there, there's so many people that I did not know. There's so many people from other groups, and that's something that God's really done in us this year is to tie us closer with other groups. As a leadership team, we've made a huge effort to, to do that and to reach out, and we meet with other churches on a regular basis to see what we can do in, in the coming year to be more unified as a city. Um, then in, uh, in September, we started the Intimacy and Encountering God series, and um, this to me, like, it kind of tied everything in together with what God was preparing the whole year long, and the whole theme that I've kind of given this year for Epic Life is that we've learned that nothing else satisfies, and, and as, as a whole, just like, if you combine everything that God has done this year... I just feel like that's what he's birthed in us is this craving for him and this knowledge that nothing else is going to satisfy except for God, that, that he fills a place in us that is truly never going to be filled unless he's there. And then uh, in November, we had Moral Revolution. We had, like, this place packed out, and uh, we had to rent chairs because we had so many people sign up for the event, and... It was awesome. We had like 700 people here, and there um, was just an awesome prayer for purity and an amazing worship time. And then now here we are in uh, December, and we're talking about identity, and that's just all of the awesome things that God has done in our group, and there's been like all kinds of Um, just Eric's sermons that he's gone through. You guys remember the Jesus Projects and then the Relationships Week. We had, like, the top numbers of people that we've ever had here. We had, like, 120 people here the night they talked about sex, so I don't know what that's about, but... (laughs) 
And, um, and then we had our slip and slides this year with no broken feet, and it was awesome, and it was so much fun. So anyways, I just want you guys, especially tonight at the end, like during worship and stuff, just if God's really done something in your life this year, just really focus on that and, and um, remember and go back, like not just tonight, but go back over the last few weeks of this year and, and remember what it is that God's done and really give him glory for that. Because sometimes when we go through hard stuff, I know for me, like, just kind of going through some hard stuff right now, it's hard to remember that God did some really powerful things in my life earlier this year. And so for me to go back and, and remember this, it brings so much joy and so much thankfulness and so much hope for the future. So if you're feeling at all hopeless, remember those times that God has done something in you because those times are coming again, just like in, in the river of life in Ezekiel 47. It's, it's like... It talks about how he measured out a certain amount, and then it was deeper. And he measured out a certain amount, and then it was deeper. And so if you're ever in that time where you feel like everything is just so shallow, and the water you're in is, is ankle deep or knee deep, just know that in another measurement, things are going to be deeper. And God's continually going to take you farther down. So, yeah, let's just, let's just, actually, let me pray first, then, before Eric comes up here. God, we just thank you so much for everything that you have accomplished in us. I thank you for how much we have grown as a group. I thank you, Lord, for just the way that you have deepened our walks with God. We've, we've seen you deepen Eric and Camille's walk with God and how that has just trickled down to the rest of us. And so I just pray, Lord, that as Eric speaks tonight about where we're going and accessing the potential that we have and all that kind of stuff, God, I just pray that that the foundation that you've laid in us this year and all of the identity that you've been establishing in us and, Lord, everything you've done this year to uh, show us who you are, God, I just pray that that would launch us into being able to fulfill the potential that we have. I just thank you, God, that every step... That, that we've taken this year, every season that we've gone through, it's preparation for where you're taking us. And I just ask, God, that you would establish just a, a confidence in our hearts that you have purpose for every season that we've been here, been through this year, and that we would use that and, and uh, just look forward to where you're taking us in the next year. Amen. Thank you, Steph. Can we give Steph a hand? Thank you for that. <clears throat> One quick thing. Every, everyone repeat after me. Because I feel this, and I don't know if this is more for me or for anybody else, but um, I don't just feel like a little funky tonight. And um, can you just repeat after me? Like, that, that was awkward. I don't know if you guys feel awkward about something today, this week, or something, but I just kind of like, I don't know, like you meet people in the bathroom, it's really weird, and I just, I don't know. I don't want to be awkward with you guys tonight, so I need to get out of here. But, um... I love, uh, I love the freedom because I, when we're back, back there praying tonight, like, we just really want a God to, like, move. And if he wants to say something like that, I just, I don't know why we do that, but um, I just want God to give us freedom in this place and to allow us to feel what we want to feel and say what he's going to say uh, through us. And I'm excited about tonight because we're continuing on from uh, last week. We're talking about identity and, and just really felt uh, last week was an amazing uh, time for us to really press in and receive 
And before I jump into where we're going tonight, um, I just want to say also thank you for uh, just this past year for your faithfulness in our finances. Um, I've been up front with you guys about uh, that we are 100% self-supported. Uh, we have an operating budget of about $20,000 or so, a little bit more than that, um, but right around there. And um, so, like, we're like the poor generation, right? Like, you can, like, ask someone to have a nickel. I'm just like, sorry, I'm clean out, you know? And um, so the fact that we can raise money, that we support ourselves, and we can do an event like Regenerate where you convert a city block and do it totally for free, and we can do more revolution in here and pack out and give it totally for free, I just really want to say thank you guys um, for going beyond what our financial needs are here. And uh, I think that deserves a clap just because of what uh, God's done here. And uh, just to say thank you, and uh, if you brought a check tonight, the envelopes are in there too. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, I'm so thrilled to end uh, this year on, on this subject and topic. And uh, we're going to ask the question tonight, who in the kingdom do you want to be? Who in the kingdom do you want to be? We, we, we talk about who are you? Who does God see you as? And until we answer that question, until we engage that question, we can't even begin the topic of where do I want to go, who do I want to be? So let's pray, and if um, you would agree with me now. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you for revelation. We thank you, God, for all the ways in which, Lord, you answer our prayers. And God, I just give you this topic Lord, I pray that you would just would descend upon our room tonight, God, just revelation, regardless of whether it's something that comes out of my mouth or something that someone reads or something somebody feels. God, that they would experience you tonight. They would experience an unfiltered voice from the living God. God, would you do that tonight? We thank you for, um, God, your, your promise when we ask and we seek that you would earnestly reward and you meet us here. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we have a couple more seats up here. If you guys want to pile in, we can grab some chairs in the back. But we need, don't feel uh, too shy if you guys need. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to take a couple looks at a few passages here. Matthew 3 is where we're going to start. We'll mosey over on to John and then end up in Ephesians. So that's where we're heading tonight. Really short verses and passages tonight. Um, it'll be amazing. Uh, question for you guys. If you are so bold, could you raise your hand if, if you think that I am living the life I was created to live? Would you say that? If you feel like I, I'm living the maximum life that I'm like, I was born for this right now. Anybody? Anybody? One? Two? That's my wife. That doesn't count, does it? Maybe three. Like, handful. Oh, come, all good, Really? 90%. If you're 90% there, like, I'm living a life like, okay, there you go. Maybe a few more. Now, why is that? What, why, why does, do, do we have such a hard time coming to a point where we say, I am living the life I, I know is made to be doing this? There should be something that should stir that that's wrong. If, if you don't feel that way, I believe that God has called us to say that, that he wants to give us life and life more abundantly, where we experience and we know that God has given us far greater than what the average world has. If we are really children of the king, if we're really part of God's manifest creation, if he's living in us, shouldn't we have a life experience? Shouldn't we have a recognition that our life is better and is made for what we're doing? 
Why don't we, though? I can go anywhere. I get to do some business speaking, and I always will, will mosey on this question, if, if you really feel alive right now in your life, there are certain things we do where we're like, maybe we get a glimpse of like, this really makes me feel alive. Can I ask you, what do you do in your life where you think to myself, I was made for this? Is there something you can think of right now that when you, you go and do something, you're like, I, everything else doesn't matter. This, I was made for this. I believe that God has a purpose for us tonight to come and expect more out of our life with him. Last week we talked again about uh, my fears of, like, I don't want to stand at the end of eternity and look back. And, and sure, I, I know that the day of judgment world will be accountable for our actions, but my biggest fear, maybe necessarily isn't the things I did bad, the, the, my greatest fear is all that could have been if I knew who I was. My greatest fear is seeing what could have been of my life if I knew who I was with God. And I, I sense like a big stirring that a lot of us also share that. John Piper and John Stott, I went to the, uh, Cape Town and was part of this, this big event, and, and this, this phrase just rings in my head, is that the greatest obstacle to God in this world is not Satan, it's not sin, it's not disease, it's not conflict, it's not war. The greatest obstacle for God in this world is his own people failing to live as God's own people. That if we would just simply live as if we are God's children, that God would be able to do so much more. But you look through the Bible and the Old Testament, and even today, I mean, you look around, you see people that, that refuse to know and to walk in the truth of who they are. And so we ask the question, who are we? And we talked about how we're dead to sin, and we're royal priesthood, and we've been given the keys to the kingdom. We talked about all these great things, and, and it, was, it was awesome. And I think that the truth that was revealed that until we know who we are and the value that we have in God's eyes, until we come to that revelation, that realization that we will continue, continually fail at different things in our life. I, I ask the question that maybe is, is sin and struggle in your life, is that potentially related to an area that you don't value? If you struggle with addiction, you struggle with relationships, or, or you fill in the blank, can you think for a moment... Do I not value something in here? Do I not value my body? Do I not value my relationships? Do I not value my relationship with God? Do I not value, you know, you fill in the blank there. Because when something has value to us, we change our behaviors. You, you go to the bank, you're not tempted to jump over the, the counter and rob the teller, right? Because you value your freedom. You don't want to stand behind iron, iron bars. When you value something, your behavior changes. So we ask, could it be that we have such a low value of ourselves that we are not compelled to protect who we are? We're not compelled to protect our relationship with those who are closest with us or with God. And I wanted to go there because I think that that is the precursor. Before we can talk about potential, before we can you know, really get on a, a place where, where we, we listen to God and say, God, take me where you want to, because I think that the core element is that we would know, really, really, really know that we are irreplaceable to God. And we would know the gravity of that value. That comes far before anything else. So I want to touch briefly a little bit more on that from where we left off last week. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Now this is where Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He encounters John the Baptist. This is before Jesus' ministry formally starts. Chapter 3, verse 16. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine, like, Jesus gets baptized, and all of a sudden, like, it's like dove, like, comes, like, flying down, you know, and, and this voice just like, oh, man, this is crazy, you know, and this is my, you know, I, I can totally picture it in my head. Check out what, what's next. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if, everyone say if, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So you have this triumphant moment where the heavens open up, God comes down and says, you are my Son. And the next thing, he goes in the wilderness, and the very first thing that Jesus encounters is a question of his identity. The very first thing. How is it that when we live life and we hear negative criticism, we always listen to that more than the positive criticism that maybe we receive from somebody else? Why is it that we'll always pick out the negative and disregard maybe the hundred other really good things that happened? I kind of joked about how, um, you know, one time someone like really had an issue about an opinion I had and and a point I made about, you know, Jesus, and, and it really rocked me. And I got so bent out of shape, and I'm like, no, no, really. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Because I put so much attention to a lie, and I did believe that it was a lie. But I, it, it, was, it was not that it was a lie. It was that, that God had called me to, to own up to something else. And so I gave, I gave what God had clearly put in my heart a, a fraction of what I put into this one critique. Why do we do that? Why does the negative stuff always hit us harder? I think it might be because we interpret the world through our identity. Whether good or bad, if you are insecure, you will see the world to justify your insecurity. Our identity is going to be the lens and the prism in which we see things come through. When we hold a lie or our disbelief or we have something and... Uh, we live life. We're going to live life with the, the way in the, to see the world justify that belief. And that's why the identity component is so critical. Jesus says, you will not uh, tempt me. God's like, you are my son. And the enemy comes and says, if you're the son of God. Turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 2. Now this is before the betrayal of Jesus. Chapter 13, verse dose. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now here it is. Jesus knew, everyone say knew. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, 
He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Clearly right here, Jesus is modeling that he knew the power he had, he knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. Those are the the three most critical questions we can ask ourselves. Do we know who we are? Do we know whose we are? And do we know where we're going? What we're doing here on earth? That little tidbit of information there is completely irrelevant in this context. All it could have said is that the, the devil had entered Judas Iscariot, and then Jesus got up and washed feet. He didn't need to, to include this into the eternal scriptures for us to see. But it's so significant. Mark 10.45 says that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew his identity. He knew where he came from, and he knew the power he had. Jesus walked in such a way that it revealed his identity. Jesus walked in a way, he lived his life in such a way that it revealed his identity. I think that's our Achilles heel. Do we walk in such a way that as we live our life, that our identity in Christ becomes more apparent? Do we live in such a way that we protect that identity? There's something to be said about us having an identity and being out of context and being out of place. Uh, for example, um, you take like a racehorse, like a thoroughbred. This is like meaty animal. And let's say you put it in a petting zoo. Not a smart thing, right? What are you going to do with like a huge stallion? I mean, this thing's like gigantic. It, like, it will destroy everything in its path. Why would you put a stallion in a petting zoo? Or how about once you take like a set of hunting dogs, right? Fresh after a kill and uh, put it in, like, the, the daycare, in, like, the infant little pen. Not a smart idea, right? Everybody of us knows that. And as I was, like, researching, like, I just Googled, like, you know, when animals attack, you know? And uh, it's really funny. If you, if you go look that, you'll just find endless entertainment. And it's always, like, you know, zookeeper mauled by lion, you know? Or boa constructor eats husband, you know? You're like, what? Um, it's, like, filled, like, you know, lion eats owner and, and like, all of them, like, they don't seem to fit. You know, elephant breaks through the chains and goes and destroys the crowd. You know, there's, there should be something about that someone's identity is appropriate in its natural setting where it should go. A racehorse should belong on a racetrack. That makes sense to us. Hunting dogs belong out in the field hunting birds. But we as God's children, we put ourselves in places where we cannot operate as God's children. When you do that, when you put a racehorse in those settings or the dogs or whatever, I believe that it's more dangerous to do that. It's more dangerous to take an animal out of its natural setting and put it into the confines in which it can't be who it is. The hunting dogs, they, they know one thing. They know sniff blood. They know they've been trained. That is their identity. And so we have an identity. As we come into the fullness of the truth of that, we've got to ask ourselves, are we behaving like our identity says we should? And here's the reason why. If we are not, I really believe that we're dangerous. Just as a a stallion is dangerous in a petting zoo, I believe that people, when they cannot walk in the fullness of who they are, we become dangerous to ourselves. We become dangerous to others. Is this making sense? That when when we have 
the calling of who we are, if we don't become who we are, if we have, are we, if we're limited from exploring that and experiencing that, we become dangerous. I really think the safest thing to do is to have ourselves be free to who God has called us to be. I know a friend, he is so stinking gifted. He's got to be one of the, the most gifted individuals I know. His vocation, his pedigree, I mean, he's got it all lined out. He is great, amazing. And he refuses to follow his vocation. He refuses to put his giftings forward. And he lives a miserable life. I cannot tell you how miserable talking with him is. I cannot tell you to to see someone who's so gifted and keep his soul cravings trapped within his body, refusing to let him be who he is, how miserable that makes him. It makes me miserable being with him. It's like, I just want to shake you. Like, come on, man. And it's, it's totally out of choice. You choose the things you want to do and you choose the things you don't want to do. It's not for lack of opportunity, but we have sometimes to need to be to reminded that we have a choice in the life that we live. Can I free you and tell you that you have a choice in how you live your life? If you're not pursuing the things that you feel God has called you to, why? Why not? Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we deny these soul cravings, when we deny these cravings to be who we are, to run the race, if you're a racehorse, I mean, to, to not be able to run, it traps you. I, I believe a little bit of us begins to die inside. I believe when we can't experience that and push it forward, that a little bit of us begins to die. And, and worse yet is that exactly how Jesus was tempted and the enemy questioning his identity... I believe the enemy gets an opportunity to say, well, you're not doing this, so are you really this? The enemy gets to, to play the opposite advocate on that with us. Are we allowing ourselves, as we come into recognizing our identity, are we allowing ourselves to be who we are? I think, it, again, it's, it's safer to release someone into their true identity than to keep them trapped. It doesn't matter the circumstance. I, I, I firmly believe that. What I do, I, I help start businesses, and I work in software, and I can't tell you how long my life lived, I, I live my life in opposition to what I'm doing right now. I really believe, like, it should be illegal how much fun I'm having. It should be illegal of, like, what I get to do for a life. But it was always against opposition. It was always like, well, that's not a good idea. You should do this. Or you should do that. Or, you know, you really should think about this. And, and I don't know why. I think it was because of my relationship with my father. But, but he always said that there's no compromise. Do what you love, what you're gifted, what your passion is. You are this. Go do this. If you're not doing it, then you've got to rethink your path. I love it. Because I feel like I really am who I am. I feel like a thoroughbred on a racetrack. It's liberating. Sure, I got challenges and I have difficulties, but man, I don't question whether I'm living the life I should be living. If you don't get to answer the same, and I get that, you know, school sucks. I know that. I hated school too. Maybe some of you guys are like, I just want to stay in school forever, you know. Um, I get some of that. And we have to go through periods of, of time where work is hard. I mean, if, if you get in the, the gym, 
like Dave. Dave is like a world-class athlete. I, couldn't, I could like hardly walk in the street with Dave. But he competes in like these competitions and things. And, and, um, and I, like, I don't know. Like that takes hard work, right? I mean, you just can't enter like a triathlon and assume, oh, I'm just going to wing it. No, it takes a lot of effort to do it. All right, on that, now to Ephesians 1. We're going to kind of conclude in this book of the Bible, Ephesians 1. And this is where I really want to go tonight. Ephesians 1, chapter, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 3 to verse 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Everyone say, every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Perfect. In Christ. Hallelujah. For he chose us in him before. Everyone say, before. The creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the, pra- to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now take a look at verse 13. And you were also included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, everyone say inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You know, a few things to, to pull out in here. There's, there's, if you get anything from night, this passage right here tells us three valuable things about us. The first is that we are adopted as sons and daughters. Adopted as sons and daughters. I know that a lot of us have really messed up relationships with our, our parents. Maybe you've had unimaginable harm inflicted by a mother or father. I get that. But just because that is your reality, we can't allow that to discount the genuine fatherhood that God says that I've adopted you as a son and daughter. It takes on a completely different meaning that few of us can hardly understand. The second thing is that we have been given every spiritual blessing. Isn't that crazy? We've been given every spiritual blessing. I think in the, the next several months as we turn into uh, 2011, we want to like, unpack that. What is every spiritual blessing? What, are, what is that? That sounds like an exciting life to live. That he's already given us every spiritual blessing. And the third is that Jesus is our inheritance. Jesus is our inheritance. Last week we talked about how um, we are Jesus' inheritance. That's verse 17 and 18. That at the end of all eternity, Jesus gets us. Kind of a daunting thought. But best out of all of it is the word predestined. And I know that some people are like, oh, predestined, you know, you know this. But the key component here, when it talks about predestined, it says before all of creation. It's not telling us that you were either saved or not. It's saying that you were saved before anything else existed. You were chosen at a time period without any effort of yours. We weren't adopted because we did good things. We were adopted because God gave us an identity to be his sons and daughters. Not because we earned it at all. If you take anything, know that you are a son and a daughter of the king, not because you did anything right in the world. 
because he chose you. That should be liberating. Now, what does it mean to be a, a, a son and daughter and to have an inheritance? And is to be the praise of his glory. Remember last week I was like, I don't know what that means, you know? I think I know what to be the praise of his glory means. It sounds like a crazy biblical term, but, but, but consider this, that we, believers, we are the praise of the glory of God. Sounds awesome. Get this, so a diamond, think of a diamond, if it's like deep in like the, the coal mines, is it giving glory to anything? No. A diamond that is still packed into coal in the, the, the depths of the earth brings glory to jack squat. It's okay, you guys can laugh. It brings glory to nothing. But you take a diamond, you take it out, and you put it in a setting. It now brings glory to the woman. Right, ladies? You're like, yeah, more glory here, right? <laughs> you take a diamond out of the earth, it, it means nothing. You put it in a setting, you put it on a ring. It brings glory to someone. You and I are the diamond to God's glory. We, when we live as God's children, we bring glory and value and honor and significance and majesty to the king when we act as God's children. As we think about an inheritance, um, maybe some of us are, are, are too young ever to have an inheritance. Maybe some of us have. But an interesting thing about inheritance is it's totally yours to lose. An inheritance, when it comes from family, you didn't do anything to earn it. You were born. An inheritance is totally yours to lose. You can squander it. You can never take it. You know, all those different things. An inheritance is about us making the mistake if we don't handle it right. Because we didn't earn it. We've been given it. We've been given stewardship over it. And do you know that um, money doesn't make you wealthy? Money doesn't... I mean, the, the, the pure fact that you have money doesn't necessarily make you wealthy. Not by how you and I would understand wealth. And I'll tell you why. I, I went to school in Santa Barbara, and I would go down to this one pier, and, and I'd go to like, this restaurant, and, and there's always this homeless man that was out there. He looked like garbage. Like, he, like if there's ever someone you gave pity on, it was like this man. And so we would give him like, you know, money whenever we go down and get ice cream on the pier, and, and, and it was wretched. And I once took my, my mom down there, and so we went there, and she just had so much compassion. She wanted to adopt him and bring him to Portland and all that stuff. You know, crazy. That's mom for you. And uh, so one day she was, she was so moved by the poverty and, like, how pitiful this man was. And she went to, like, the, the, the gal inside, the, the waitress or whoever, and she's like, so, do, you know, do you guys feed, you know, the, this guy out there, the beggar? And the woman's just like, are you kidding me? He's one of the wealthiest men in Santa Barbara. He's got millions and millions of dollars. What? I mean, doesn't that, like, jack with your mind? You're like, you are homeless. What? The point is, is that because you have money, you can still live like a bum. You can still be in poverty and have trillions of dollars in your bank account. What makes you wealthy is how you spend it. You look at someone, you might look at their possessions, their property, their car, you know, whatever. Like, wow, that guy's loaded, you know. But, but if you meet some homeless man, you have no idea. Like, you'd say, hey, that man's poor. Just because... You have the, the, the dollars in the bank account doesn't do squat. And our inheritance, our inheritance is only, in Christ, our inheritance is only as good as our willing to spend that inheritance. Is that, is that making sense? That the inheritance that we have is only good as our willingness to go and act on it and to spend it. That is where we go about who are we going to become? 
Who will you become in 2011? Who do you want to be in the kingdom? Can I challenge you to be someone who is like a drunken sailor on inheritance with God's kingdom wealth for your life? It says you've been given every spiritual blessing. You've been given everything. You've been given this inheritance. Can I challenge you that we would find out what it means to spend our kingdom inheritance in God? It's kind of a heavy thought. I'll let that marinate just for a second. God has made us so unique with giftings, with passions, with abilities. He's given us all sorts of wealth, both just within our DNA of who we are being unique, but also within just our, our, our abilities, our minds. He's given us so much, and we are Scrooges with what God has entrusted to us. God might be saying to you, I've given you a mind that matches no one, no, no one else. I've given you this mind. I've let you steward a genius mind. Or maybe I've given you a heart. I've given you a weeping heart for the nations. I've given you music ability. I've given you discernment, and I've given you wisdom. I've given you charisma. I mean, you, you, fill in the blank for what it is for you. What is God giving you? If you don't know that, we need to start back at the identity part and find God reinforce what you've given me and ask maybe for more. That comes through revelation, but we, we think about it that we've been given things. How are we spending that? I really believe that, that God has given me an anointing and gifting for entrepreneurship and technology and software and nerdy things. I was telling my wife, like, I'm becoming really nerdy, um, which is true. But uh, he's given me such, like, crazy favor for some of the things we're doing. And I look at that, and I, I think, uh, you know, man, am I spending things when I really could be, like, reading the Bible or doing, you know, more holy things? No. I'm stewarding my mind and my favor the best I know how. And it lets me know that I am taking advantage of what God has already given me. What has God given you that you have yet to take advantage of? Maybe some of us are still in the, the transition moments, but can I affirm you that you can, you can uh, be a Scrooge? And I don't know why I love that word. Maybe it's because of the holiday season. You can be a Scrooge with what God has given you. I don't think that's very honoring. And maybe that's the first time we've ever even thought of this idea, and that's totally fine. But as we go into this season where we think about receiving gifts, we go into next year thinking about what news resolution, how many pounds will I lose, what race will I conquer, what, you know, heli skiing trip should I do? You know, we, we think about all those things. Why don't we think about what has God already given me that he's waiting for me to spend? What spiritual inheritance have I received that God is waiting for? So two, two suggestions for becoming who you want to be in the kingdom is first, as I mentioned, is to spend the inheritance. And to spend the kingdom wealth that you've been given. That's the first thing. Do you know that also, and this is the second, that you also can play a part in helping others spend their inheritance? That you have a responsibility to steward the giftings God has given you? I think if anything, it doesn't matter. You fill in the blank with your passions that God wants you to, to put that into action, but you also, the other thing that you can do is you can help other people spend that inheritance with them too. If someone has an amazing gift of discernment 
or maybe intercession or, or prayer like Liz White, every time she prays, it just like, a, like, it stirs me differently. She has got an amazing gifting for prayer. You want prayer from someone that will like bring tears to your eyes? Like pray with Liz. Pray with, I mean, there's lots of people in here like that, but especially that's one that just strikes me. When we walk in relationship with others and we encourage them, hey, would you come and would you pray with these people? You help them spend their kingdom wealth. When someone has a particular talent and you give them an opportunity to walk in it and to share it, you help them do that. Sometimes all we need is an opportunity. The great thing is that we all get to help each other with our opportunities. It should be a great encouragement for us. I think that's maybe why I love the entrepreneurship stuff so much is that I, I feel that every single time I get to help a business, that person becomes a little bit more like who they're supposed to be. I think that's why I love it so much. Is that I help someone take a vague, I dream, vague dream and help them uh, take that idea and, and put a name and, and a shape and, and a branch and, and put details to it. Like I feel like I'm helping that person become a little bit more of who they are. If we recognize that we have the potential to be helping others in the same exact capacity, it doesn't need to be about business, but it can just be about recognizing that God has given this person something very unique to them, and you give them and help them use that gifting in your relationship with them. I think the kingdom potential is measured by how you spend the kingdom wealth given to you. You want more favor in your life? You want more favor? Steward the favor you have right now. If you want more, more access to God opening more doors, why don't you just walk through the, the, door, the small doors he's giving you right now? You want more spiritual blessings? I think that maybe God says, I've given some. Could you be obedient with a little before I give you a lot? I end with this, is that there's two obstacles that are going to keep us from this. The first is instant gratification. We, we want things now. We want things yesterday. If we don't get the result that we want right now, we, we totally turn off. And so when it comes to spending money, right, spending kingdom wealth, and, and don't take this, like, don't go out and rack up credit card debt on this message, right? I'm talking about spiritual blessings, giftings, passions, those things. Um, totally lost where I just going right there. <laughs> Instant gratification, there you go. You have, like, $1,000 in your pocket. You, you want to go buy something now. I want to drive it now. Um, Aaron knows what it's like. He, he's investing, like, a new computer, and he's, like, checking, like, did it ship yet, you know? Like, those, like I, we get it. We're like, we want things yesterday. And I think that when we, we think about what we're doing in, in relationship with others and with the kingdom, we want instant results. I pray for you. I want you healed. You want, I, I, like, we're going to lay hands, and we want fire coming down, and we, you know, we, we want things like now. And sometimes God does that, but I think it's really selfish of us to assume that we are always the final step in that process. God says that there are others who plant and sow and fertilize and water and all those things. We all play a part. And so the greatest hindrance to us is that when we spend some, some kingdom wealth, when we spend a little bit of our inheritance and we don't see that we got something for it, we get totally bummed out, don't you? You get totally bummed out when you pray about something and maybe something doesn't totally turn out how you want. You know, like sad face and, you know. You get bitter. I'm not going to do that again. Or you know, I, I think it's funny that we think we can punish God by like, I'm not going to do that now. You know, it's kind of a silly thing. We all do it. I get it. You you wouldn't go to like a blood bank and say, 
I'm not going to give blood until I see the faces of the people I'm saving. Wouldn't that be like an obnoxious thing to tell like the blood bank? Like, what are you talking about? You have no idea. You could give a, you know, one ounce of blood, and it could save someone's life. Your blood could be used for the new breakthrough discovery. Like, it could cure AIDS. It could do all sorts of things. But we don't think of that way when we go to the blood bank. I've never been to the blood bank, actually, but um, I hate needles. Um, but we don't think about that. I like get all, like, passing out now. Uh, we don't think about that. Are we being Scrooges with our kingdom wealth, with our giftings, and who we are because we are looking for immediate gratification? I know I do. 2011, I want to care less about the results. I want to be more of a steward of saying, God, you've called me to obedience. It doesn't matter if this person doesn't show up. I've just been called to, to be here. It doesn't matter for me if there's two people here or 2,000 people here. I know I've been called to epic life. So I'm here. Great to see you guys. doesn't matter. Glad you guys are here. But in all honesty, like, I got to know that I'm playing a part of a, of a journey that I don't necessarily have the privilege of seeing all the fruit from. And maybe you're the same. You're living lives and relationships in which you're expecting the results. And last is that until you realize that you are God's son, you won't have the capacity to spend anything. Until you really realize that you are God's son, or daughter, and you really believe it. You really, really, really believe it. And it's really important that you believe it. Here's why. And I thank Ramsey for this. Is that your beliefs affect your emotions. And your emotions will drive your behavior. It's really important that we, that we believe that we are sons and daughters. Because when we believe that, it's going to affect our emotions. When our emotions are affected, it'll change our behavior. We have a different value system for it. Until we realize that, we're going to feel like illegitimate sons and daughters. I don't know if anybody's adopted, but I, I know some friends that are adopted, and that's been one of the biggest struggles that they feel I'm not really their son or daughter. Do you believe that about Jesus too? That you're really not his son or daughter? If you were adopted into a family... And maybe, like, the ink on the, the adoption papers dried, and, and your family croaked, and now you have an inheritance. Would you feel like you are able to then have any entitlement to that inheritance? Probably not. Maybe some of you guys would be, I don't know. But maybe most of us would say, I'm really not entitled to this. I wrestle with that. When we really come into really pressing in and say, God, I really, really, really want to believe and know and walk in the truth that I'm your son. I really need that. And until we really seek that, then I don't think we have any spending potential. I think our, our bank account's empty. Because if you don't believe that you're God's son, you're not going to believe there's inheritance, you're not going to believe there's any money in the kingdom wealth to spend. I hope this is making sense. But I think if anything over this Christmas, that if you don't really feel that sonship or that daughtership with God, that you would ask, God, give me revelation. Show me that I am your son and your daughter. Let me honestly really believe it. And know that Satan's mission is to destroy everything that is valuable to God. And he's going to play nasty at it. You've got to know that he's going to pull out all the stops. 
Have you seen the movie Gladiator? Yeah. There's this horrible scene, and it, it enrages me, but I, I got the picture of it when I was thinking about what the enemy does to try and, and get us off base. It's, I, I, I believe, for me, it identifies what Satan tried to do to Jesus and what he tries to do with all of us in questioning the identity. And it's when, um, what's the guy's name? Maximus and Commodus are there, and Maximus is chained up, remember? And Commodus is like, starts bringing up family. I heard your boy squealed like a little girl when we nailed him to the cross. Does that not enrage you? And he's like, I'm not going to say what he said about the wife, but you probably know what he said. I just decided to pull back there. It was bad, right? It's horrible. I believe that when we engage in whether or not we are a son or daughter of God, that Satan comes in and he's going to put a little knife right in that little wound and try and stir us. So as the band comes up, I just want to just pray just over us that God, you, Lord, would allow God our potential for who we are in you, Lord, to know no bounds. Lord, I, I really believe that of anything, you, Father, want us to know that we are your children. And as your children, we have certain rights and abilities, Lord. We don't behave like the beggars. Lord, when we have an inheritance, I just pray, Lord, that we would not be spiritually broke. Lord, that we would be spiritually rich in this place. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that's thinking about a gifting or a passion or ability, that they would feel that rising to the surface, knowing, Lord, that you had purpose behind that. You had purpose to put it to use. And God, who we become this next year, who we become this journey with you is only marked by knowing that we are sons and daughters and we have power and we've been bestowed privilege, power, and anointing. God, you say in Ephesians 1, in 17 and 18, that, that the very power that raised Jesus from the grave and seated him at the throne above all of creation is the same power that's in us. So Lord, I pray that we would really believe those words as we read them. God, forgive us that we don't believe them. God, we ask for revelation of our sonship. God, we ask for revelation of a, of a fatherly affection for us. God, and we ask for an appreciation of the full wealth and power contained in our inheritance. God, would you give us these three revelations and change every aspect of our life, Lord. Allow us to pray unceasingly, Lord, knowing that it is your best for us that you desire. Lord, we just cast down every last little lie that we have in our mind that says we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not smart enough, I'm not him, I'm not her. And Lord, that we would walk worthy to be called as God's own people. Lord, help us in that tonight. Lord, we leave 2010. God, thankful for what you did. And Lord, believing that this is a glory-to-glory moment, Lord, as 2010 passes, 2011 comes, Lord, I believe that you have new levels of glory, God, to reveal to this community, this body. I firmly believe, Lord, that next year is a year of harvest, that hard work has been poured forward, that has been beaten into this land, God, where those have thought that the, the ground is hard and will not turn, will not absorb, Lord, would, would birth amazing life next year. 
I just, God, receive, God, all that you have for us. Now, Lord, give us a glimpse of that. Would you tonight worship you? Would you help us to believe in that promise? We are your children. place in God's word, I believe it's Zephaniah, and it, it talks about that the very thought of you, that God rejoices and he dances over you with singing. I believe that's an important uh, thing to mention tonight to somebody, that, that God actually delights and sings over you with dancing, and that that would bring a new level of what the Father's heart is for you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and desire intimacy with us. God, I believe you delight over us far more than we could ever give credit or imagine. I pray tonight, uh, Lord, we leave here ready for what you're going to do, ready to walk in the fullness of who we could become, Lord. May none of us have any regrets of what could have been of any of our lives. We thank you, Jesus. we could end the final uh, night here. Can we all stand? And we'll just sing one song here and then we'll close it out. If you need prayer, there'll be a couple people over there to pray for you. Maybe there's a, an identity that needs to be restored if you want to hear the reinforcement of something that God may be